ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Friday. We got Raging Cajun Baseball beginning today in New Orleans, 2 o'clock at Tulane. Uh, the, the, the guest on the line with me now will be closer to the action than I will, but for those that want to hear it here, 1.30 pregame, 2 o'clock first pitch. Jay Walker, Brad Topham on the call. Brad will join me a little after 8 this morning to talk some Cajun baseball. But uh, Gus Cattingale, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent, joins me now. Now, Gus is a baseball guy that I remember – you know, Gus, when I first met you, um, you were in your mid-20s, so it's it's been a minute, but you had an award-winning uh, piece that you did for WWL back when we worked there for Intercom where you, like, tried out for, was it the Zephyrs held an open tryout, the AAA team? I, I remember listening to that and thinking, this guy's creative, this guy's good at what he does, and this guy is uh, probably really sore today because he was crazy going out for that baseball team. Remember that? That was that was awesome when you did that. I did, man. It was, uh, it was down the street, and it was for the Zephyrs. And at the time, they were the AAA affiliate of the Houston Astros. And I thought that worked so many different ways. Obviously, you know, I'm a Cub guy, so they were in the Central Division at the time. And what worked was um, – you know, Tim Grubbs, uh, the, the voice uh, of the Zephyrs, and, and I have been friends, and, you know, we've always talked about it, and, you know, I always found it interesting, and the story came out of this, Scott, that I always feel a lot of times fans around here didn't really appreciate just how good a level of baseball that was, right? Um, I heard that all the time. Well, you know, it's not real baseball. It's not this and that. And I, I'm like, I don't think you realize how good those guys are. You're literally a phone call away. Um to where you'll play and a lot of times those players that are there they're waiting for either an opportunity or roster spot or what have you and they're really good and one of the things that got me thinking about that was you know whether it was Brad Cressy and a couple of other LSU guys that you know we would see through the red system or other organizations get up to double a AA or triple a but never really get past that just got kind of occurred to me I'm like I don't think people realize how hard that is and also how the stories are of you to try to even get a look-see. So I found out they were doing a tryout, and you know, I reached out to them, and I said, hey, look, I want to know what these tryouts are like. And um, therefore, essentially guys that, I mean, were studs in high school or in college and had an injury or had a kid and for every reason had a, had a stop, and you just learn so much about it from the fact that they really don't make a lot of money, um, an overwhelming majority of them, and a lot of them just either slip through the cracks, don't get that opportunity, um, happen to be stuck behind, say, I don't know, an all-star like Rizzo or Bryant or something of that nature, so they really don't have anywhere to really go, so they're trying to hone their skills, injury rehabs, whatever. So I went through the entire process, mic myself up, and – was real interested in just kind of how it goes and, and hearing, you know, the Astros coaches come up and, and, and hold a tryout was pretty cool, man. They were decked out in Astros here, you know, just like normal. And um, I interviewed guys that, you know, had Tommy John surgery, soldier surgery, ACL surgeries in college. And, I mean, these guys were good. And you went through the workouts. and Everyone threw from 
you know, third base to see how strong your arm is on the infield. You, you ran 60-yard dash instead of 40-yard dash, and I tripped and almost killed myself trying to run and do all those things. Um, you know, you're in the outfield and right field, and you're trying to throw all the way to home or trying to you throw to first, to second, to third, to home to see where your arm is. And, I mean, there's no mercy. You know, the second that ball is in your glove, the next one is hit. And you just you get a sense of, of what it would take to really do it. And then you sat and talked with the coaches and what they're looking for. And I, I enjoyed it. That was probably one of my favorite stories to do because as somebody that's played, you know, we always sit there and, and kind of take for granted or think, man, I can go out there and do it. And you just don't appreciate how hard it is to get to that level. I mean, you're – you got to be really, really good. Yeah, I, I just <laughs> what did what did your body feel like just after doing a baseball tryout, oh, dude? I well, first off, I I killed myself going so I, you know at third base and they they hit it at you at first and then they hit it to the left of you and then the second you release that ball, the next hit is to your right. So they want to see your range, left, right, up the middle, and then the fourth one is basically a bunt you have to charge up so there's no setting in between every time that the bat you know hits the ball so that first one comes at you the second you release it boom it's to your left so you're moving to your left you have to hop stop go to your right you know get it and then stop and plant that's when i did like a split skin my knee then the next ball comes up and i try to grab it bare hand go head over fit you know i mean I do a Charlie Brown, essentially. My chin hits the dirt. I mean, because my legs are wild. I mean, you're not ready for it. So it just kind of gives you an idea of, you know, the, the twitch memory and all, and just how agile you really have to be. And you just realize how long that throw is from there. And I played That's shortstop, crazy. man. I just, you know, and again, I hadn't played in a while, but um, – you didn't make the and team, like I though. Said, I mean, that's that's. I think I think people were still wondering. Well, did he make the team? No, he did not make the team. That would have been. Oh, I didn't make it. <laughs> not at all. But oh, um, I think the thing that was interesting about it more than anything was just, like I said, um, me feeling that and and getting that understanding. But it was really cool to kind of just kind of go through. Because by the way, I did show up with a Cubs jersey, Cubs hat, Cubs. You know, shorts, I was completely decked out in Cubs gear, which probably made it a little harder on me since those coaches were the Astros. Yeah, they They're weren't like, happy oh, about it. Here. And Dude, isn't it, isn't it funny how I don't how know the... if everybody got the same treatment, but I got no mercy. I can tell you that for sure. The uh, the Zephyrs, and then they became the Baby Cakes. But, like, they, they, were a, they were a minor league affiliate for the Astros at one point for the Mets, who I root for, for the Cubs at another point, for the Nats, for the Marlins. I mean, they ran through a string of them. And now, you know, the minor league team is no longer. They moved to what, Wichita or something like that? Wichita, so yep. The it, surge. Um, it, the wind surge. What, what, what is it about any form of professional baseball, albeit, you know, minor league, but AAA, you know, it's one, one, stop, one step below the – it seems like New Orleans should be able to support a AAA team because – you know, Tulane hosting Louisiana today, you're talking about programs that have been to College World Series, college baseball, the, the success of LSU over the years. College baseball across the state is really good, Gus. We talk about it every year, and there's a lot of excitement here uh, with Matt Deggs going into year number two as head coach for UL. And I know Tulane's got some really good pitching. I'm expecting really good pitching this weekend. But what is it about 
minor league or independent ball or, 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 you know, anyone that says, Scott, there should be a major league team in Louisiana, my response is always like, why? Like, you think it would work? They, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't support a minor league team in a city like New Orleans. Why would a major league team work? Why is it that college baseball works down here, but pro baseball just doesn't seem to? And I, I have asked that and, and have several shows on that, Scott, as to why that works and it doesn't work. And, you know, I've heard a, a number of different reasons. Um, and, you know, it, it starts with, um, well, it's the ballpark or it's, um, you know, there's no, um, you know, new updates and things of that nature. Look, I, I get it. There are when you compare Vessel Field to some of the newer facilities, I think facilities matters to an extent. Um, being able to have modern amenities, things of that nature, um, and, and enjoy the fan experience, I think, though that kind of becomes more important when perhaps, say, you don't have um, wins or but organization, you sort of tie yourself in. So I think more than anything, um, when you look at why anything is supported, you know, I mean, I think winning, having a good product, and an environment is probably the key and the reason why that happens. I mean, Scott, you look at three years, and you and I talked about this several times, you brought up working over at Intercom. You remember, we had to give away tickets to get a Saints game. So it's not like it was always a situation where you couldn't find tickets and things of that nature. Um, but once they started winning, it became a product that you wanted to be a part of, and the environment was good, then it became something that you wanted to go see. So I think when you – I think it's multifaceted, right? So my main reason that I think is what we've talked about in the past in terms of affiliation. When you removed, essentially, Astros from there, it was easy to follow. I think, you know, we saw Lance Berkman and, and others come up through New Orleans, make their way to Houston. You could watch them um, play that night. You could see them sort of get together um, and then once they made that run to the World Series, you remember, and all of that. I mean, you remember those guys. You remember seeing, you know, Bollinger and all those guys come up and, and play. So I think to an extent you had an attachment. You had a relationship with it. And it was an easy drive. You could go check them out in five hours and, you know, go catch a game. So I think that's a big reason why when you start – having an affiliation to different organizations, especially like the Mets and Marlins, like we're winning, or it's just so far away, more importantly, you can't watch the games. I, I, if I can't watch a Marlins or a Mets game, then, you know, why, I, it just, it's hard to get excited about somebody coming up or, or playing because once they leave airline, they don't. So I think what minor league teams have had to do is to try to make them the fan experience because Major League Baseball went to those packages and you don't see a lot of games now on national television. So 
you know, that's the problem. You're not talked about this. I, I think GN, WGN, CBS, all those losing those games, I think it's hurt baseball. I think it's actually hurt the growth. It, it stunts um, the ability, say, for my kid, your kid, to grow up watching baseball. Unless I get the Major League package or I watch uh, a network that has the game of the week, which is the game of the week. It's not, per se, a team. So, you know, Carver at four is not going to be able to watch a team unless I get the MLB package. So unless I pay for that and then pick that team to watch them, he's not going to know. Whereas when I grew up at 1 o'clock every single day, there's leadoff man at 1.30, you know, it was Cubs baseball. So every afternoon in the summer, I grew up watching Cubs baseball. I mean, so I didn't know anybody. I thought that was my team there on TV so I could watch them every day. So minor league clubs, I think I've had to make the viewing event or the stadium the reason for you to show up. So what you've seen in the last five to 10 years is these stadiums be built and promotions take place to where you're going there to spend three hours to hang out, to eat, to do competitions, oh, yeah. to you know, see if you can eat a 15-foot po' boy or sandwich and you know, stuff like that. And oh, by the way, there's baseball being played on the field. It's gone away from your attachment to the team because you can't really follow them that much anymore. And it's more about the ballparks, and it's more about the atmosphere. And when that happened, you know, Zephyr Field, like they've changed the speakers, you know, <laughs> since they opened up. So you have a very old facility that compared to, they were, you know, the, the team moved to Wichita, which was a brand new ballpark that, I mean, is absolutely stunning and gorgeous. And, you know, and then you add the temperatures and the weather, the lack of shade in the outfield, um, there are no updates to the outside area where the, the pool and kids can run around and things of that nature. It's just, it's hard. So when it's 101, with the heat index and your team's not winning, you really don't know who they are. I mean, is my wife and kid, are gonna, I mean, am I going to want to do that? You know, it's hot, it's miserable, and I don't know anybody there, and I can't watch any of those games that go there. The concession stands, the bathrooms, nothing's been updated. It's just, it, it's hard. And, and I think that that was really a lot of the challenges that they faced. Ultimately, you just, you, to be successful long-term in sports, you have to become fabricated with the culture of wherever you're playing. Like, you can be good for a little while and have some, you know, fun and people will go for a little while. But if you don't become part of the fabric of that culture you're not going to be financially successful year in, year out at a high level. Now, look, you can own a professional sports team, not draw a big crowd and still make money because you're in the big leagues and, and you know, there's revenue sharing and all that. But you get what you get where I'm going with this, right? In terms of like, let's, let's just try to step outside of the state for a minute. You know, like the Pittsburgh, the Steelers are such a fabric of Pittsburgh culture and, that community, that part of Pennsylvania, West nearby West Virginia, those parts, those towns, coal mining, all that. Like the Steelers are such a fabric of the culture of that day-to-day life. Um, you know, you've been to St. Louis before, the Cardinals. How much of a part of the culture in St. Louis is that baseball team, right? We can say, well, the Saints are now, but it, it wasn't like that pre-Katrina. I mean, they, they were and they weren't. Like, 
they were part of the culture, but it wasn't always this, like you said, this thing that everyone took pride in. It was part of the culture of some people love them, even though they're not great. You know what I mean? Like, and then when they started winning and then after Katrina, it sort of became a different kind of fabric within the culture. But my point is to have long-term success, winning absolutely is the big part of it. But I think it's just the first part. Once you get the fans there with winning, and I'm talking more about big leagues at this point than, than minor leagues, because you're right. That's all about promotions and things like that. Uh, I'm talking more about college and and pro where once a team becomes part of the culture of a community, then they're they're set. Like they have to really, really screw up to ruin that, uh, to mess that thing up. Because once you're part of the culture, winning or losing, the fans are still going to want you to win. Don't get me wrong, but they're still going to be there no matter what. And I think ultimately there isn't a a tried and true blueprint of how to do it. Like, I think it's worked differently for different places. You can look historically at why one sport works better in one city than another. You can look to, you know, a a tragedy in the case of Katrina. You You can look at a lot of different places in a lot of different cities and why certain teams mean certain things. But to me, it's all about just being part of the culture. And once you do, no matter how much you try to promote it or market it, it really, it's, it's almost a perfect storm of sorts. But once it happens, man, it's, it's, you're good. You're good. You're set because there's pride in it and people want to pass it on family, generation to generation. It's just, it's different. And I think that's why, you know, the athletes that are most beloved on their teams are ones that didn't just embrace the the the, the team, but they embraced the city and the culture of that city that they played in and played for. No, I, I'm with you. And look, like you said, it is interesting because I mean, for a long, long time, and it's actually, I wouldn't even say it's the running joke, but it's, you know, it, I would say the fact. I mean, a lot of, Will Wade said it when he first took the job. I mean, we, we know this, right? We, it's football season and baseball season in LSU, but why though? I mean, so Skip Urban and then one national championships. I mean, it's, well, for anyone to think that it's not, I mean, it, it is. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Look, you know, I, I'm in that level right now where I'm debating or not debating, but I'm seeing if my son's going to be interested in that game or not. And and look, I, I've had some some long talks, you know, with my wife and and really um, just debating and thinking too about where I'm going to be with this because baseball is a little different than when I grew up, man. Um, you know, like, like you said, it's been a minute since you met me. So, look, I'm 45. And I can tell you, unless I was – I missed it. When I was 45, I did not have to be a part of a travel team at, at a very young age to start working my way into being the know-how and all that stuff to where – you know, you get to that high school level, and if you're not doing that, you're, you're at a disadvantage. I mean, there's no other way to put it. It, it. You are at a disadvantage. And, I mean, there's programs where literally at three and four, there's, you know, once a week sort of a thing for six weeks or eight weeks. And... You know, little sluggers and stuff. And I know Derek over here at Big Easy Sports Flex. And look, you know, he's part of the organization and team. And, and his son was part of the Little League World Series champions that Louisiana won, you know, what, two years ago. Um, so I know exactly the steps of the programs to get into. It's just 
literally my foil would have had to start last spring. I mean, it's got to start now and get into it. I've had discussions with parents of Tulane kids who's, you know, now their, their kids are in my kids' preschool. And, I mean, we've had a three-hour talk on our show one day outside of a seafood place where we did a live remote on all the different things. So it, it is a process in order to get to that level, in order to hope that a high school, you know, will take you and then play at that level. And then you got to play Legion and summer ball and fall ball and travel. So it's expensive. It's time consuming as a parent. That's every weekend. And, and Scott, quite honestly, the reason why I'm thinking about, I don't know if that's going to happen unless he's really good. Um, is there's no scholarship essentially, you know, going into it. I mean, I can go play, you know, lacrosse, which is getting huge here. You know, pretty much most of the high school teams here have lacrosse teams or soccer or something of that nature. And there's probably a chance that, you know, there'll be some school that needs a scholarship. And in baseball, it's been the biggest debate ever as to why is only so many. They get spread out. I mean, you're essentially one to two players on the team get four rides. Everybody else does it. Now, if it's a state school, you have tops on it, but you know, 11.7. The I mean, they yeah. have, I mean, it's 60 grand to, to so, have 11.7. No, I mean, that's my thing. It's like, so, so let's say Travis Stewart recruits Carver and says, Hey, we'd love to have Carver. I'd love him to be there too. I don't have 60 grand. So <laughs> unless he's a really good athlete, I mean, student, they can get a scholarship through grades. I mean, I, you hear what I'm getting at? It's just, I, I just, am I going to spend 15, 16 years trying to develop and, and in hopes that that happens and then I'm still going to have to pay college. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I think that baseball has a lot of things, in my opinion, this is my opinion, working against it in order for it to grow um, and have kids really want to be interested and parents say, let's go ahead and do it. I mean, I, I'm just being honest. I mean, I could spend that kind of money in golf. And high school teams and college teams have golf scholarships. And you just have to be able to hit the ball. I mean, <laughs> y'all can argue with me all you want, but, like, there's a greater chance that my kid will get a scholarship to play golf at Southern Miss than he plays baseball. A full scholarship, yes. A full scholarship. Yeah. I mean, like you said, right. you got 11.7. you got to divide it between 27 players, and yeah. you have to give at I mean, least 25%. Yeah. It's something working against it. And then this but year... He can go be a kicker or a long snapper on the football team. You get a lot like of scholarships. A game or something, or not even play, be a bump, be a third stringer, and... You know, he gets signed. He gets signed, man, hey. for four years. I mean, hey, but 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 I, I just, you just, love baseball. I, I like I said, it, it's it's just different. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta, it, you absolutely gotta love it. And I think, you know, kids that grow up playing it, 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 they gotta have that deep love for it. And, um, you know, college baseball is big here. Um, you know, it's big in the state, and and I think part of it is the culture within those communities where the programs are. You know, the culture that Coach Robichaux helped create here. Um, obviously, Skip Bertman and Baton Rouge. But I think that's the biggest part of it. Just getting back to our original discussion, to ultimately have success, you got to kind of become one with the culture of the community. And, yes, you need to win uh, a good bit, too, because that's uh, that's what everybody wants at the end of the day. Gus Kattengill, our Saints and Pelicans correspondent. All right, Gus, before we talk some Pels and before we hit up our first break, real quick, uh, the NFL announced yesterday the salary cap would be a minimum of $180 million, probably going to be a little bit more. The expected thing was that 
it was going to be around 175 mil. And look, we've seen it in the past. Mickey Loomis is going to restructure contracts, not let the salary cap get in the way of the team's desire to keep or sign a key player. And and I think, you know, sometimes the national media says they can't sign anybody, and then Saints fans are like, actually, look at what they've done. My argument is always, look, Loomis will restructure and move stuff around and do what he's got to do. My thing has always been about the depth, right? Not those first few signings or big decisions on a player or two, but all the ones after that that really can be the difference in a team or not. And so, you know, the news comes out yesterday and, and, and you know, a lot of people are saying, man, the Saints are happy about this, right? National pundits and fans saying, oh, I guess, but really does it matter? Yes, the Saints are happy. Any any bump in what you were expecting, any bump in having extra salary cap space, every team in the league is happy about it, and I promise you the Saints are too. Let's not be foolish here. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, just to go up a few million, when you, when you think, to your point, Jameis Winston signed for what, a mil? Yeah, 1.1 uh, mil. And he was your backup. 1.1 you know? mil. Yeah. Um, so you can look at some of the players that they have signed in the past and $5 million might get you two, three players the way they structure their, their contracts. I mean, that's, that's a big difference, you know, from what you thought for being 175 to 180. Might be able to save a player on your roster in a restructure or even, you know, stay around and, and not have to cut another player or two. Because that's the biggest challenge that they have when I – talk to people about it with the Saints, it's, it's not just, hey, do you have money to um, be able to sign players? It's, you got to retain your players, give extensions, keep them. As Sean Payton and Mickey Lewis both said after the Super Bowl, that's their number one priority. They've been um, their philosophy you know, for a while. And so you got to do that. And, and then just trimming down to the salary cap level, you still have to sign your draft picks. You still have to go to free agency. So you don't have to get to just 180 or 185. It's, you, know, you have to get below that. And, and, that, and that's, that's going to be the challenge the Saints had. It's not just, you know, when people see the, the salary cap floor or, or where it's at, so let's say 180, 182, 185, they got to get below that because with their signings, with their draft picks, with free agency, it's got to stop at 180, 182, 185, whatever it eventually winds up being. So um, we got some work to do. ESPN 1420.com. Gus Cagliel, Saints and Pelicans correspondent, our guest. I'm Scott Prather. It's the Great Scott Show on a Friday. Brad Topham coming up later in the show to talk some Cajun baseball as their season begins today. Cajun softball season begins tomorrow after a number of games postponed or canceled. But up next... Let's talk about those Pelicans. Zion Williamson continues to do incredible things on the offensive end. The Pelicans continue to lose in a heartbreaking fashion at times, including Wednesday night against Portland. He's got to touch the ball in that final possession. But growing pains continue. There's still plenty worth watching. They're playing Phoenix. We'll get all down next with Gus on ESPN 1420.com. Don't go anywhere. All right, welcome back into the Great Scott Show, the great sports callers open think tank. Hope everybody is staying warm out there. I'm Scott Prather. Brad Topham coming up near the top of the hour, a little after 
Gus Cadgill on with me right now. Pro Nola segment. We haven't talked Pels yet. Gus, uh, I'll, let's start with something positive. Um, Zion Williamson, go. <laughs> well, you just want me, just my honest take on what he is right now. Um, so I opened up my show Thursday following that tough loss to Portland, which, by the way, is really good. Came into that game, you know, 8-2 in their last 10. Um, they were a team that had won five straight and have an MVP candidate in Dane Lillard. And I tell you what, first off, Scott, you realize what Drew Holiday did, right? I mean, because Dame Lillard didn't do that while Drew Holiday was here, ever. So you got a chance to see what, what, uh, what he's really good at and doing. But, Scott, one overwhelming thing, other than the loss and that possession at the end, stood out. And it was a continuation of what I felt the game before that when they won at Memphis. And in that game against Memphis on Tuesday, I opened up the show on Wednesday and I said, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but I wound up spending, and I didn't intend to, but I wound up spending about two and a half hours out of my three, on and off, not straight, but talking about Zion. And I said, I don't know if y'all are watching the same thing I am, but it's starting to click. And what I mean by that is, I think he's a good player. Can he be great? Can he be a superstar? And there's certain steps, certain things and levels that players do at those levels. And one of those things, I guess to summarize and make it short here, uh, for time purposes, got it, bleep this. That's my phrase, right? Bleep this. You've seen LeBron do it earlier in the week. He was taking on the team. Well, just bleep this. Give me the ball. He's taking it. Block shots, defense going to the basket, free throws, whatever. Though Damian Lillard, we saw that Wednesday, bleep it, give me the ball. He's going he's gonna to make the play, whether it's a, a scoring play or an assist play because he's been scoring. That's what a superstar does, right? That's what a franchise player does. It's bleep this. I got it. Everyone out the way, he demands accountability. He, it's his team, and you know it. I think he has the potential to do that. Um, so you look through his game and you look at certain things out of it to kind of give you indications. And what's nuts is this. And that Memphis game was game 50, and he had 31. Then he gets, you know, 36 the night after. And he's on pace to have 60% shooting or more. In the last four games before that, he was shooting 70% and, and averaging 30 and a half. But the thing is, Scott, you're looking at it, and it's coming in dominant style. And more importantly, it's coming with him almost at times. It, it sure looks like he's going sleepy. So off the, give me the ball, I got it, point Zion. You know, off the rebound or whatever, he's taking the ball. He's moving it forward. You heard um, Stan Van Gundy after the Memphis game, I thought surprisingly say that Alvin Gentry in training camp actually wanted to use Zion like that, but he got injured. So you kind of wonder if he wouldn't have been injured what we would have seen last year. And, and that's the thing that I, as surprisingly as you can have here, I have to argue with people that call in and don't think he's good and don't think he's going to be good. And I had to explain to them, he's played 30 games. He's played 35 we're at 50 games. Now. Yeah, we're at 50. And at the 50-game mark, he has more points through 50 games than LeBron, Luka, and some of the other players on that list. You know, he's on pace right now, on pace to 
you know, be up there with Kareem and Wilt and Kevin McHale, Hall of Famers, through 50 games. Um, he's good. And what's crazy is this past week, you saw him get better on the defensive end. Everyone wants him to be an all-pro defensive end. Dude, it took LeBron years. I mean, 80 years. Michael Jordan, when he came into the league with the Bulls, he was an offensive machine. He scored, right? That game against the Celtics, the famous highlight, Larry checking him between the legs, between the legs, the truck shot. He wasn't an all-pro defender then. It took him seasons, off-season. Then it took him battles through the Pistons. I mean, LeBron's in his 18th season. People want this kid to be there. He's played 50 games. 51 on Wednesday. I mean, it's, it's nuts, but I saw blocked shots on Wednesday. He saw steals. He's starting to learn the, the spacing. He's getting in better shape. You know, Todd Glassmanini said it best voice to the Pels to me early in the week. He's playing 30-plus minutes a game. When you play 30-plus minutes a game every game, you're going to learn. You're going to get in better shape. Michael Jordan, again, going back to him, famously said he wants to get in shape. Play basketball. Best way to get in shape to play basketball is playing basketball. Stay man glad he said at the beginning of the season. Best way for this team to get in shape is to play basketball. He said we're going to run up and down the court. It's the only way he can get in shape. And I think as he continues to get in shape, because he's not there yet, and he continues to learn the game and starts playing these players, Scott, you learn tendencies, you learn where they want to be, and you saw that even on Wednesday. Um, I thought... Tuesday, Wednesday stood out to me. Jean Morant's a star in this league. Incredibly good. They went back and forth. Zion was better. Damian Lillard and he kind of took over for a bit. And, and Damian Lillard showed that he's at the MVP level right now. But Zion was going back and forth with him. And I ended that game and started Thursday's show with this thought. Zion is the best player on the Pelican. Like, he's, it, it's, t- it's time for him and for everybody that he stops. I, I understand Brandon Ingram made the all-star team last year. I get it. I do. And that's fine. It's okay. This needs to be Zion's team. I, that, that, that's what I started out Thursday with. I could be wrong, but in the games that I saw this week, and in that game against Portland, I guess I could have just answered that. When you ask me, Zion, go. It's his team now. It needs to be his team now. He needs to be the guy that takes the last shot. I understand you gave the max deal to Brandon. I understand he's done it before. I understand that he's the, the, the vet. I get it. The difference is he can be guarded. He can be shielded off, and he has to rely on a jump shot. Um, who's stopping Zion? Two plays before that final play on Wednesday, it was an inbound play. He caught it by the left elbow. He immediately spun towards the block and baseline, went to the rim, got fouled, hit two free throws. He shot clutch free throws at the end, didn't miss, and he also took it straight to the rim. You put the honest on the official to make that play call, to either blow the whistle or not. And that's something Brandon Ingram simply can't do. Zion Williamson is unguardable in the paint. Can he miss? Sure he can. But I saw, my feeling I left on Wednesday was it's time for him to, to make it his team. On the court, off the court, in the locker room, you name it. You see it with other players. You saw it with Damian. 
uh, before he drove to the basket and gave the assist. You know, Zion had four assists. If he would have had one more, it would have been five. And the team's undefeated, but he has five assists. Give it to Zion. You put the pressure on the Blazers. You put the pressure on any team. If he drives, they double, they triple, they come in, he kicks it, he gives the assist. If they don't, he goes straight to the basket and scores or gets fired. And that's something that nobody else on that team can do. So I didn't think he was ready before then, but, Scott, I don't know if it's just me. The past week and a half and this past week, I've just seen him grow. And he's just doing things right now, man, where I'm just like, look, it's just time. It's just time to say it. It's him. It needs to run through him. It needs to go through him. And in clutch moments in time, it needs to be about him, period. And the stats don't back up the argument that it should be Brandon Ingram. He struggles in the fourth quarter. He struggles in clutch points, clutch moments. Um, give Zion a shot because, again, he provides something that I think Brandon just can't make. Well, Brandon's awesome and um, was, you know, he's, his numbers aren't as good currently as they were earlier in the season. But, uh, but Zion is – Zion has a chance to be uh, a generational type of player. Uh, the offensive numbers suggested. Now, his defense still isn't good, but I would say it's moved from like an F to like a D plus, right? I mean, point is, it's improving. He's 20. He's only played 50 games. He, you know, Wednesday night, he knew where to go in the passing lane, broke up a pass, got the steal. He's doing things right now that there's there's two ways to watch. One, you can watch with this ridiculous curve, try to nitpick all this BS and compare him to guys that have been in the league for 10 years. Or you can just shut your pie hole and enjoy it because the end of the game against Portland was frustrating for all of us that, that, that watched it, unless you're a Portland fan. It was. You wanted him to touch the ball. He needed to touch the ball. You needed to find a way that he touched the ball in the last possession. But as you're watching this team and the losses are extremely frustrating, try to watch it with you know some sunglasses that have two different shades. One, you're watching the team as a fan. You want them to win. The other, just watch Zion. I mean, watch that offense. Put it on a loop. It is fun. It is dominant right now, and uh, and and it's again, it's it's worth repeating. Fifty career NBA games. Like, oh well, defense. This at what point at Duke was was he going to be talked about in terms of NBA defense, night in night out, where to be feeling? Like, at what point in high school when he was basically four times the size of every opponent, was that going to be the focus in practices in a game, right? 50 games in an NBA career. Let some things come along right now. The fact that his offense is already where it is right now, man, that's exciting. And if you're not getting excited about it, then I feel like you're just watching him the wrong way. Well, you know, and, and again, Scott, you, you keep bringing it up, and I just I, I don't understand. And, look, I, I had this topic. I think I even talked to you about it one Friday where during the week I had a – you know, take a show on Wednesday and just ask, what, what is it that people want from coaches, administrators, players? I mean, what's the reasonable time of expectation in terms of growth, in terms of building, in terms of anything? I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, it, it takes time to put things together. And you mentioned just in his game, um, He's played 51 games. I mean, you know, it's, I mean, he hasn't had legitimately a full off season. 
He had a shortened offseason. And even Dwayne Wade, after Tuesday's game, mentioned how good he looks and how much better in shape he is. You're seeing it. Um, look, th- there was a play late in that fourth quarter on Wednesday in which, uh, again, it was the bleep this um, moment for me where they, they had made a bit of a run and he just, I mean, attacked and just exploded to the rim. And you're not stopping 280 like that. And, again, he's, he's going to get better. He's going to get better shape. It's going to understand spacing. More importantly, other players are starting to. I don't know if you've even noticed this, which is interesting. Again, and that's, that's where you know, David Griffin and, and Van Gundy, they scout and they look now. Okay, so now we're seeing a sample size of what he can do on the court, what, what he's good at, what, what kind of players we need. As remarkable as it seems, one of the players that's worked really well with him, um, other than obviously Stephen Adams, but because, again, he's a vet and he understands that. But I don't know if you've noticed that Billy Hernan Gomez and him have gotten pretty, you know, chummy. I mean, in terms of um, how to play with one another. And, and, and Billy does things that um, are pretty interesting to me when you think about it. He shoots off different players. He created a steal yesterday, uh, Thursday, Wednesday, uh, on just by guarding somebody off the inbound, making that pass difficult that led to a steal, that led to a Zion breakaway, that led to free throws. Um, it's little things like that that really help. He's been passing the ball really well in Memphis. He had a couple of really good give and goes. So, you know, look, Hernan Gomez isn't a, a superstar. I mean, he's a five-year journeyman, but he understands the game. And he's getting you double-digit points. He's getting you some rebounds. He's creating space. He understands basketball. So, you know, if I'm Griffin, I'm Trajan Langdon, I, I'm a scout, I'm looking for players like that, again, but you need that sample size. I need to know what he can do, and I'm seeing what he can do. I'm seeing that Zion can bring the ball up to the court. I'm hearing Stan Van Gundy say, look, um, I like it because it puts the defense on their heels. What is he doing? Are you stopping 280 at full speed? But he's in control enough that he can dish the ball and and, and create. So do I need spot-up shooters? Do I need guys that are are ready to go? That, That changes my philosophy on offense. Do I just do it? two, three minutes a quarter? Do I make it that way? How do I help him? Um, and, and I think, again, going back to that Wednesday game and seeing the, the heat that, that the staff took after that, and it was supposed to be a Brandon Ingram Zion pick and roll, which they didn't run correctly, but um, you're now seeing through the sample size very simply that clutch moments and the games, it needs, he, he has to touch it. And it, it's, it's literally the argument in discussion we had um, Scott, when Anthony Davis was here, remember we we would we would lose our collective mind when he would go quarters without touching the ball, or eight minutes for the fourth quarter we didn't touch the ball, and you're going, what is going on? Because if he just touches it, the defense has to react. If the ball the inbound goes to him, or the second pass goes to him with eight seconds, the defense has to react. Period. It may not even be for him. Use him as the fine. Again, Damian Lillard's winning bucket essentially wasn't his. He passed it to a wide open player underneath. But that's understanding, right? A couple of years ago, he probably jacks it up. I need to win the game is game time. On Wednesday's game, you saw him, which is why he's reached MVP status. Sometimes he dished, sometimes he shot. And, you know, again, he's had seasons, he's had playoff wins and losses and series wins and losses and multiple contract extensions. 
Zion's played 51 games. Yes. And, and that's why you should be re, like ridiculously excited. Um, he's played less than a full NBA season's worth of games. And he's instinctively doing things that, you know, it's taken other seasons to do. And he already can dominate on one aspect or two, right? So just imagine refinement. Just imagine growth. Just imagine better shape. Just imagine him understanding the game more. I mean, LeBron talks about it all the time on how he how he sees film now as opposed to 50 games, right? So, um, yeah, dude, I, I, like I said, I didn't intend it on Wednesday, but I wound up speaking about two and a half hours because you, you just see it. You're, you're starting to see it. And after that game Wednesday night, I was ready. Thursday morning, you know, I started the show flat out. I said, it's time. It's time for everybody to say it and admit it and, and just move on as it. It's Zion's team. It needs to be his team. It needs to run through him. It needs to be about him. And just sit back and watch because I think he's ready. I, I, think, I think he's ready to start the process. You know, call it the learner's permit, Scott. I'm not saying I'm ready to throw, you know, that 15-year-old or 16-year-old and, you know, Atlanta traffic, you know, on that kind of interstate. But you know what? It, it's time to say, you know what? It's, like, it's time for you to drive and you're not riding shotgun anymore. I, I just – I think – I honestly believe that. I don't know if I'm too early on that, but by what I've watched, um, I, I just think it's time to hand him the keys, man. And he's going he's gonna to be a better driver, and he's going to be better understanding. Um, just like we all do when we started driving, man. We're, wow, the nuts, windows down, blaring the music, not a care in the world, and you start realizing you have people in the car that matter. And then, you know, we drive differently as parents. We drive differently um, as things progress in life than we did when we first got the keys, Scott, right? We did. And, and I think that's how I look at it. And that was the analogy I used on Thursday is that I think it's time to hand them the keys and learn, learn to be a responsible, good driver, a race car driver, however you want to look at it. But I think it's time to hand them the keys, dude. I, I just, I legitimately think so. ESPN 1420.com. All right, Gus, final question for you then. The Phoenix Suns tonight from a win-loss perspective, what are you expecting out of the Pelicans here over the next couple games? This is an interesting team, man. Um, they were hot. They were cold. Then they got hot again. Devin Booker um, has been insane. And look, they blew a 24-point lead to Brooklyn earlier this week without Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. It was just James Harden uh, doing it. So you got to imagine that's still on their minds a bit. The, the games between these two teams, you know, one was obviously that blowout. Then they got that second one. So it should be fun. And look, it, it's all part of the growth process, too. You, you played well against Memphis. You, you know, you went toe-to-toe with a really good team in Portland. Man, they're further along than you. They have an MVP candidate. But you could have won that game. Uh, I kind of feel you could have won that game. You went back and forth. And, and you, had, you had position and potential at the end um, to, to maybe win it. So, but how do you respond now? How do you respond now? And that's, and that's the key. That, that is literally the difference between the NBA and college. How, how do you respond on a nightly basis that the next matchup is big? Because if you don't show up, if you have that lull that the Pels had in the third quarter um, to start the game against Phoenix, you're going to get blown out. So I think those are all different things that this team has still got to learn and learn. And look, Brandon Ingram uh, and other players, how, how do you respond the next time you're on the court and, and are taking this team on. So 
um, that that's literally my, my key tonight. I, I, I want to see how this team responds, you know, play hard. If, if you lose the game like you did against Portland where Booker hits a shot, Chris Paul jukes somebody and hits a shot, you live with it. Those guys are further along than you, and, and they're, they're solid. But you lose the game with turnovers, sloppiness, um, bad play, sloppy starts to quarters, then that's different. That's you not focusing and doing it. So let, let's see if they continue. I think this week they've played good basketball. You know, they just only won one game. But I thought they've, they've played good basketball. Great stuff, Gus Cattengill, as always. Check him out on ESPN 100.3 in New Orleans, noon to three weekdays, the Sports Hangover, on Twitter at GCAT underscore one seven. Gus, uh, if you get to uh, the ballpark, I know limited attendance, but Cajuns, Green Wave tonight in Tulane. College baseball season's here. We're in the uh, the thick of the NBA season. We're not even halfway through it yet, but Zion is uh, is a lot of fun we got the NFL offseason approaching. We talked about the salary cap. Covered a lot of ground this morning. Looking forward to covering some more. In the meantime, man, don't don't for those that heard the whole interview, I'll I'll end it the way I started it. Don't try to try out. Don't audition for a minor league baseball team again. Just at this point with your body, you're not in your mid twenties anymore. You're in your mid forties. I just think it would be a bad bad just a bad mix. Yeah, it's not happening anymore. Believe me, I I don't know if you can tell sometimes, but. I get winded going up the stairs, dude. I mean, <laughs> that's how it is. That's how it is. So all the know. best, man. Appreciate the time. Yeah, for sure, man. Take care, Scott. You got it. That is Gus Cat. Get up next. We'll talk some Cajun baseball. Brad Topham, biggest question mark for him heading into this season for Louisiana. Will any be answered today in the opener against Tulane? Two o'clock, one thirty pregame on ninety six five. Talking some Cajun baseball next, right here on ESPN fourteen twenty and dot